Another episode of the What's Good Games podcast. I'm Andrea Renee, joined by Miss Christine Steimer. Hello. And special guest Blair Herter is here. Also, hello. Thanks so much for coming by the studio. Thank so good you. to see you. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you too. So, of course, I got to run into you this morning at Kind of Funny, where you true. did the morning show with yep. Nick Scarpino. Yep. Yeah, you walked in with your blazer and immediately <laughs> made it a thousand times more professional. <laughs> Andrea like, literally usually does the, that. The professionalism in that that room just shot up, man. Yeah, those guys, um, when Greg's away, they really uh, kind of like take it easy. Yeah, which is saying a lot if Greg is the most professional person in he's, that room. He's definitely not. And Tim is probably the most professional yeah. person in, in that yeah. in that crew. Um, it, Tim and Joey for a close second. Yeah, I was gonna say I yeah, thought Joey's I would have said Joey, but yeah, I guess I guess Tim as well. Oh, I'm her. I'm thinking about like office attire though. Joey mm. usually rolls in like super casual. Casual, but like, why not? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like She's amazing, by the way. Like, I want to, uh, I've known the guys for a long time, so I feel like I've had enough time with them, but I was like, all I want to do right now, Joey, is get to know you better. Like, you're so great. She's a wonderful Can woman. We spend time? Yeah, she's lovely. Yeah, she's been on the show a couple of times, and I'm really glad that she lives in San Francisco now because it means that we get to. I'm so angry know, about it. Because she oh, left she me. she moved away from L.A. Like, we were <laughs> friends down here. And then she's like, I'm going to San Francisco. Bye. And I was like, no. Don't hey, leave. I'll tell you, though. I, I'll put money on the fact. Those guys, they'll move They'll move that company down to L.A. in a couple years. I've been talking to them. They're I've planted the seed. Yeah. They're pretty ingrained in the Bay right now. But I've I've been working on, on Tim and Greg to be like, listen. You guys could save so much money. There's so many other content creators you could do content with. Yep. Also, it's just warmer. Yep. I'm just going to do Oh, it's this. fine. I feel better now. <laughs> this is better. <laughs> Slight um, mic adjustment. Um, as you guys are probably aware, our third amigo, Miss Brittany Brombacher, is on a vacation. She is somewhere in the Mediterranean, having a lovely uh, time on a cruise. Ooh. Uh, we don't know where she is. I messaged her earlier and was like, where are you? So we can tell people. And she was, she never responded. Yeah. I think the Wi-Fi is pretty spotty. I mean, Wi-Fi on cruises is super expensive. Yeah. And also, I think shitty for a reason because people, they want you to unplug. Like, yeah. I love going on cruises because it's an excuse to truly, you know, we all go on vacation. But do we really, really go oh, on no. vacation? But when you're on a cruise, you're like... Okay, I'm, I'm on this boat. No water. excuse. Yeah, and that's the best. So yeah. that's why I love cruises. I'm trying to convince John to go on a cruise with me, and he's just not about it. He's just I, there's something about cruises I think that he's just not a fan of. Maybe it's the food because he's such a big foodie. Yeah, um, that you know the food on cruises can sometimes not, be very good, but like, most of the time it's just it's just good, but it's not like excellent. Yeah. Well, sure, you're not getting like three star Michelin food on a cruise, but yeah, it's pretty solid. And you can eat all the time. It's just <laughs> continuous eating. You can eat pizza at like 3 a.m. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of the best. And follow that up with ice cream and chicken wings and Steve cereal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we went on last year, we went on a Disney cruise, which oh. is 
I've heard they have the best food of all the cruises. That's the thing is like, first of all, service, next level. And I've been on a lot of different cruises, but service on this, next level Disney service. The kid had a blast for obvious reasons, but the dinners every night, they cycle you through the like three, four restaurants they have on the boat. And the four restaurants are like, they're not Michelin starred restaurants, but they're really good restaurants. So you kind of do the buffet thing, breakfast and lunch. Right. But the dinners are legit dinners. So look into the Disney cruise. Dude, Disney anything is like pretty legit. Yeah, it was it was amazing. I I'm I'm looking forward to revisiting Disney resorts because I haven't stayed or been to a Disney resort or property since I was like in middle school. Oh, you're where missing we, out. Where I stayed um, at Disney World with my mom, but I've been really wanting to either go back to Disney because I know they have kind of revamped some of their properties down yep. there uh, since then, which was like mm, years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I <laughs> I also have my eye on Alani in Hawaii, which Dude. looks like an amazing property. Yeah. All their stuff is there that- is amazing. I kind of wish, though, because I, I, as a selfish adult with no children, I'm like, I just want like a weekend where there are no kids, like where it's an adults only. Sure, yeah. Time. Have you at been to one Disney, of those? By either the way? resorts or the cruises. Yeah. Just Have you like- ever been to an adults only resort? No. Okay, so we also went right after Emerson was born. About six months after Emerson was born, we're like, okay, we're still married, right? Okay, we need to get the fuck out away from this newborn. By the way. Can I just say real quick? <laughs> yes. I have a five and a half year old. He is, Jessica is the best thing that's ever happened to me. He's the best thing I've ever made. That's how I qualify those things. He is so much fun. Every day is a blast with, with a five and a half year old. Newborns are the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Newborns suck. We hated having a newborn. We hated every minute of every single day was so lame. Newborns are the worst. But then they turn into something really amazing. They turn so, into so, people, so, little people. So, so stick it out, keep people with newborns. It gets better. <laughs> but Jess and I, about six months after Emerson was born, we're like, we're going to go. We got to go do a, an us thing. So her parents came out and stayed with him. She and I went to an adults-only resort in Mexico, and it was four days of nothing but adults and open bars, and it was magnificent. So that if you have awesome. – the food was incredible. Mm. Uh, I'm pointing at a TV and a, and a human. Uh, the food was incredible. And yeah, like it's just kind of cool to be around people that are not children. Yes. So I'm with you. You should try it. It's it's actually pretty fun. I'm going to make a mental note of this to tell John after we have after we have children. <laughs> be like, so you should talk to Blair um, and we should make this happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Get oh, the I got parents all, to come on out. I got all the advice for you. It's uh, we were the first. Jess and I were the first of our friends to have a kid, so we didn't have any advice. And everybody that we talked to is like very afraid to tell us how much newborns are garbage. So we had very <laughs> different expectations coming into this thing. But now we're like, we feel like we can tell people like, um, do you know the folks from Critical Role, like Travis Willingham yeah. or Bailey? Yeah, of course. Yeah, right. Uh, Steimer's good friends with them. Okay, so Travis came to my house about three weeks before their kid was born. And he was like, I just need to talk to you about fatherhood. And I was like, sit down, bro. Cause I'm going to tell you some shit that nobody else is telling you. I promise. And <laughs> Get a real talkie we right went now. through this thing and we actually had lunch with, I've talked to them a lot since then. They've been helping so much on this Pablo thing that I'm doing, but we had lunch with Laura, Travis and their kid on Sunday of this week. And, uh, they were both like, dude, thank you so much for being honest with us. Cause Jess had a similar conversation with Laura 
And it's true, man. Like everybody tells you it's the best. It is not. Maybe it. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's the best for some people, but not, it wasn't for us. And so, yeah, uh, they had a very similar experience. And so I think their kid's only ten weeks old, but they're like in a couple months, they're going to try to do the same thing. Like, let's get away. Let's get the mom or dad or somebody to come and hang out and we'll go do a, a thing. Cause that's the key, right? Is like, wow, this turned into a full on parenting. Fucking <laughs> lesson. Uh, we have a lot of parents that listen to the oh, show. Good. Yeah, yeah. We do. I think that they would probably agree that the easiest thing to forget when you have a kid is that you were married first. And so it's very important to remember and always focus on the fact that you're also a married couple. And I think people that are like, oh, children change everything. Children don't actually change anything if you don't forget that you aren't just parents. Right. You know? And so, anyway, let's move on to video games if you want. That was weird and unsolicited. I apologize. The longest intro of intros. (laughs) No, no, but this is what's what's great to have you on the show. Um, For people who maybe never saw the multitude of projects that you hosted while you were on camera, um, what were some of, like, the favorite things that you hosted back in the days where you were holding a microphone? Hmm. It's a really great question. Um, I mean, a very long time ago, I worked at MTV. I'm, I'm 38. So I started MTV when I was 20. So this will probably be, I think, 18 or nine, eight, about 18 years ago, maybe 17 years ago, we were really big in the Rock the Vote um, scenario. And so I did a number of interviews with uh, Bill Clinton and um, Al Gore. And the presidential stuff was really neat, the political stuff I did. Um, I got to uh, produce the very first games giveaway on TRL, which was a big moment in my career. Oh my God, TRL. TRL. Yeah, and like, you know, you guys are producers, so like, it was only a three-minute package, like, but for me, I was like 23, and it was like, oh shit, this is, and nobody was doing video games on MTV, so that was really cool. That was kind of like a, uh, I think like a trailblazing moment. Um, and then everything at G4 was just magic, man. I mean, like X play was incredible. Uh, I hosted the first season of American Ninja warrior, which was great. Um, G4, I feel very fortunate MTV. I worked at MTV when MTV was still music and I worked at G4 when people weren't doing video games on television or any of it, like none of this happened. And so I was just at, I was at some places with some really magical people who you guys all know. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I remember it's hard to point a couple, like, specific things because it was all, like, they're all really good memories, you know? Well, that's awesome to hear. Yeah, it's been really cool seeing how many people that worked at G4 have still um, maintained a presence in the video games industry, have gone on to work with a variety of different companies. G4, for me, was, like, always the one that got away because in my entire hosting career, it was always, like, the dream to right. be to get even like a correspondent position, something yeah. small on G four, and I just never made it before they shut it down. And it like it still bums me out to this day that I never got to be on G four. Well, you're you're a, you're younger than Jess and I though. Yes, we're we're older, so it wasn't so much it got away. You just you were just too young at the time. You know, the I, old folks were uh, the old fogies were on the they TVs. They had some pretty young people. Yeah, there were a couple people that were only there for a very short time. I remember, um, but yeah, no, it was. Um, um, I look back on it now because Facebook will serve up memories and I'm like, how are we able to do that on television? Like really and truly, like some of the stuff we were doing was just like, wow. And that's now I feel like a lot of what we're seeing now, content and, and things like that, it, it's it's funny to me because I were, I, I felt like I was, mainly was a host. I didn't produce, I, I got hired as a producer and I, I produced for six months. And then once they put me on camera, that took me in a very different direction. 
But I worked with some of the most incredibly creative producers and some of the content they were doing now, I see stuff like that now and I'm like, dude, I remember when we did that shit like 10 years ago, you right? know, and it's, it's really neat to see whether people want to admit it or not. I think that a lot of what was happening on G4 has influenced a lot of this type of content. I'd say without a doubt that influence is clear. Yeah. And it's so, it was cool to be a part of that, you know, like it's, uh, I will always be grateful. Like a lot of people like to speak ill of places they worked in the past and no job is perfect, but like I will forever be grateful for the time that I had there for sure. Well, we certainly miss it. There's always these rumors popping up every now and again of uh, G4 resurfacing. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to ha- truly happen. You know, I can tell how, t- how I, big streaming is, but I don't know if G4 as a brand will ever come back, but I can tell you that um, part of my job at IGN is the development, the originals development, um, department, which means that I often meet with a lot of television uh, networks and conglomerates that are getting into the OTT space. That's and, the over the top. Yes, yes, the, the 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 digital space. And I can tell you that a lot of them are going to be launching their own services, and they are very, they're all very interested in gaming. So I do think, yes, they are. That's something like it'll never be G four. But I think things like that may come back in a in a certain capacity. We've had conversations with some of these people who have yeah. been working on some of these uh, networks trying to revive something that's G4-esque. And it just doesn't seem like anyone has quite hit the secret sauce. And I think a lot of that has to do – and this is – I don't want to get too in the industry weeds. I just think a lot of that has to do with people – wanting the quality of something like a Spike TV's GTTV mm-hmm. or like a G4's X-Play, yep. but they don't want to actually put the budget in it. They're sure. like, oh, it's streamers and YouTubers. We can get them for super cheap. And I'm like, good video is not cheap, ladies and gentlemen. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. And the budgets weren't like, I mean, we didn't have the biggest budgets on G4, but you know, they were certainly more than... The branded content budgets at IGN are brand fueled, so they're very different budgets. But the originals and I mean, you guys, you know, you've worked in IGN with content, like you know what those budgets yeah. look like, and so they're very similar. Um, but yeah, Disney XD last year did an experiment. We IGN had a show, a half hour nightly, and they weren't TV budgets, but they were pretty good, and they they it did well. Like, and they brought back Parker plays and things like that. So. Um, Look, enough brands want to be a part of it now. And as you guys know, like brand dollars drive everything. And so if brands are saying they want to be in gaming, then it incentivizes all of these people to to make moves, right? So I don't know. Like I say let G4 be G4. Like let it be what let it is. Let the legacy live on. Yeah, don't try to recreate it. Let's do something new. You know, and by let's, I mean don't let me do it. I'm 38 now. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I'm an old guy. I don't know what the but kids like, want. Yeah, I don't know what the kids are looking at. These, their snaps and their whatevers or tweets. But like... <laughs> I do think that, um, you know, create, create, let somebody create their own version of that, you know? And I'm excited to see what that is. Well, listen, I'll take your money. People <laughs> out there, if you have an OTT that has budget, come, come find in. me at contact yeah. at whatsgoodgains.com. Um, why don't we go ahead and get to some news now that we've had this lovely chat at the top of the yeah. show? Uh, thankfully, it's a relatively light news week. Um, unfortunately, as per usual, there's going to be a Nintendo Direct on Thursday, and we're recording this on Wednesday night. So um, if there's some earth-shattering news, we might be able to record something and, and get it in. But considering I'm leaving for Tokyo on Friday morning, probably won't happen. So uh, we'll have to catch you guys up on that next week. Um, or, of course, you can check it out on Friend of the 
another show, Kind of Funny Games Daily, which will be um, every weekday, Monday through Friday. So... Uh, the first piece of news that I've got for you guys, Nintendo Switch Online launch date has been revealed. So this write-up comes from IGN and uh, it's from Adam Bankhurst who writes, Nintendo has revealed that its upcoming online service will be launching next Tuesday, September 18th. It will be arriving with a seven-day free trial from the Nintendo eShop. They announced it via Twitter and Nintendo confirmed that it will be more information will be revealed at tomorrow's 35 minute Nintendo Direct that will focus on upcoming Switch and 3DS titles. Nintendo previously said that the online service would be launching in the second half of September, which technically I guess it would be true, and it would cost significantly cheaper than Xbox Live Gold or PlayStation Plus. There are three purchase options here in the United States. One month will cost you $3.99, three months $7.99, and 12 months $19.99. In addition, the ability to play online games with friends, which had previously been free, subscribers will gain access to 20 NES games at launch, including Super Mario Bros., The Legend of Zelda, and Super Mario Bros. 3. Another long-requested feature, Cloud Saves, will become available with this new service, although it appears not all games will be taking advantage of this feature so we knew this was coming Mm -hmm. um it is certainly long overdue 20 dollars seems like a very reasonable price to Uh get in for a year kind of like if you're gonna if you're gonna experiment with this you might as well just buy the full year yeah um but um does this does this blow your skirt up are you excited about this blair um first of all two things one thank you for uh featuring a nintendo based ign story in a positive light we appreciate that (laughs) Uh, secondly, I am wearing a skirt under this. How did you know? Um, yeah, man, I think, look, I think games as a, a service means many things to many different people, but on the whole, I, I appreciate games as a service and I think this falls into that category for me. So I'm yeah. all in. Like I, I will pay you if you give me something that I may not use every day, but something that is available to me. I just want it to be available. And now that's available, I, I think it's good. And this is certainly something that people have been asking Nintendo for in some capacity True. since the dawn of time. So <laughs> it's nice to see this is happening, right? I, I'm excited. finally getting an online infrastructure in place? Yeah, like I'm excited about it. Steimer? I mean, no, but I, <laughs> okay. I'm excited for other people. Because, like, for the Switch, it's not something that I play online games on. Like, I I treat my Switch as a giant Game Boy. That is very much my single-player travel experience. So, for me, that doesn't doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, But, you know, also, I would say at this point, my Xbox Live Gold subscription also doesn't make a lot of sense for me. I haven't played an online game in quite some time on that platform. So... I, I would just be I'm not going to sign up for this because I feel like I'd end up just having a recurring payment that I don't ever use. But if you are excited and you use your switch all the time. Enjoy. You know, there's there's something to be said for that. I was talking about this um, with Gary Witta earlier this week, and I'd kind of said, you know, it's, it's a departure for Nintendo because they are really have been known throughout their entire lifetime as like the single player machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just started getting into multiplayer really with the Wii. Um, well, online multiplayer. Obviously, plenty of their games have had local multiplayer options right. for quite some time. But um, I don't play online multiplayer games on my Switch. I didn't play them on my Wii U. Yep. Um, it's just not something that I do. Not to say that I haven't had fun playing online yeah. Mario Kart or playing trying out Splatoon 2 and things like that, but it's just not what I play on my Switch. I'm like you. I play my Switch on airplanes. Yeah. I mean, I do that a lot. I travel. I fly every week, and I think, <clears throat> I think what I, I, I'm telling myself is that 
I'm investing in the the future of Nintendo's online infrastructure, right? Like it's like when Elon Musk like opened up pre-orders for the Teslas. It's like you ain't even built them shits yet, bro. But somebody now people just funded the production of those things and now they're going to be cool and so I just always hold out this hope that Nintendo's looking out for my best interests even though most of the time they're probably not and they're 20 bucks a year or whatever will hopefully like build an online infrastructure that makes sense. Like the cloud save alone, right? Is just like how yeah. many how many memory cards have you guys lost in your Zero. homes? Because she doesn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> See, I got Agita. I need to have like a hundred games on on uh, available to me at all times. I'm with you. The internal memory is just not it's awful. enough. Yeah, yeah so. it's bad. I'm very um, good at actually- purging. Yeah, like, no, I, I, what I've learned is you're fiscally responsible. You're just a better person than me all around. You're fiscally responsible. <laughs> I don't know you're about You're better that. with your data management. <laughs> um, we had somebody write in to Dear WGG. James says, what's good, ladies? Hope you're doing well. On the eve of Thursday's Nintendo Direct, the black and white Super Smash Bros. Pro Controller had its release date pushed up from mid-December to September 28th. I know this episode will go up on Friday after the Direct has taken place and the answer may be there, but does this lead you to any crazy things? theories or predictions as to why the controller is coming out earlier than expected since it was supposed to release alongside super smash bros ultimate no strong opinion for me either way (laughs) i mean this is kind of unorthodox (laughs) to take a launch that was supposed to be in mid-december and moving it three months up Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh that's really weird. weird I don't know if I have any crazy theories or predictions. I don't think that they're just going to magically drop Smash in like yeah. late September. Yeah. I think they're going to want to polish and polish and polish that game as long as they can because yeah. balance in that game is so crucial. Yeah. But I don't know. Maybe they'll bring like a, a former Smash Bros and port it to the mm. Switch as like a get excited for Ultimate. Yeah. Or here's an interesting question for you guys. What if they're moving this peripheral out of the holiday season because they're launching something else in the holiday season and they need to make room for it? That might be that might be something worth worth discussing. Like I know that they have a a new version of the Switch for Pokemon Let's Go mm-hmm. that's happening yeah, in yellow. November. Yeah. Yeah, the yellow one. Um but for Smash, well, what do you what do you what are you suggesting? I don't know. I mean, the, the, they're Nintendo, right? So, like, what do we, what do the what do we ever know? That they they're always doing? got tricks up their sleeve. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, it's just something. When I think about like supply chain, oh god, I'm gonna sound so old right now. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about like supply chain and like retail and distribution deals and things like that, it's like if you're taking something off a shelf now, what are you putting on the shelf then? Yeah, it's a good point, right? So I don't know. I don't have any actual. Uh, thoughts on that but it's just i don't know something think like something's got to be in retailers at that point right what is it going to be i guess only time will tell sorry we didn't have any crazy wild theories for you (laughs) yeah it probably will be something as lame as just like another colorway but like whatever it's fun to speculate um all right next story ea reportedly under criminal investigation in belgium due to fifa's loot boxes so this write-up comes from Eurogamer, and this has, of course, been covered by most people. We've been hearing about, you know, this issue with Belgium making loot boxes illegal, but now there's a new development. 
The Belgian government, which declared loot boxes to be a form of gambling earlier this year, has reportedly launched a criminal investigation into EA after the publisher refused to modify FIFA's randomized card pack loot boxes in order to comply with the country's gambling laws. Back in April, Belgium's Gaming Commission determined that loot boxes found in FIFA 18, Overwatch, and Counter-Strike Global Offensive were an illegal game of chance and thus subject to Belgian gambling laws. Failure to adhere to these laws, which include ensuring that minors are unable to access the gambling elements within a game, is illegal. Following the ruling, Blizzard, Valve, and 2K Games all elected to disable loot boxes in their games in Belgium. EA, however, has done nothing. As a result, (laughs) according to the Belgian publication Metro via Google Translate, they're now the subject of a criminal investigation by the Brussels Public Prosecutor's Office. If it decides to prosecute, the case will go to court. The Belgian government's gaming commission considers loot boxes to be a game of chance because players don't know exactly which items a box may contain when purchasing it. EA, however, says otherwise, stating back in April that its games were developed and implemented ethically and lawfully around the world and that it did not agree that games could be considered any form of gambling. EA CEO Andrew Wilson back in May said, Players always received a specified number of items in each pack, and because it doesn't provide or authorize any way to cash out or sell items or virtual currency for real money. Um, so I love that this loot box saga like just continues yeah. and will not die. Well, I like Port that EA's like, by the way. Nah. <laughs> My God. We're not going to do anything. Like, we're just... I, like I know. Yeah, they made their bet here. We're not going to comply with your country's <laughs> laws right now. Because, like, they're, they could easily just have turned it off the way, um, you know, the other companies did. Because I doubt that they're making hand over fist in Belgium, like, with FIFA. But... right. I, I think maybe what they're kind of trying to do is like prevent it from happening in other countries. Cause I think if more EU countries did follow suit, then mm. that's when they're in trouble. Cause FIFA makes a ton of money off those card packs. And yeah. if over you, $500 million specifically for FIFA yeah. in ultimate team microtransactions. Oof. Yeah. And Just a lot to of that like let you know how much money is on the line for EA. Yeah. yeah like that's a lot of European countries. So I think there's, they're, digging their pole into the sand because of that and they're like no none shall pass like this is not how this works um and i'm curious to see how it'll go yeah i don't know how belgium's um government is structured that if they appeal or if they you know protest um like what where where it goes like if they have a supreme court system like the united states does where they say basically like no like you can't tell us this is illegal we're gonna fight you and how that process will go but you know like steimer was saying like this clearly is down to the money and it's worth it financially for them to to fight it obviously yeah also, can we agree that the Brussels police force is probably very well dressed? Oh yeah. <laughs> I just have this vision of them being very well kept and and really together. Just yeah. waffle in one yeah. hand and a beer yeah. in the other. Yeah. But I do agree with, like I agree with both of you in that like what is it's about the money and probably the precedent, right? Because this is mm-hmm. we live in a world games as a service, microtransaction things like that where the things like gambling and randomized luck and things like those that those come to play in like every game i mean what's to say at some point that a country doesn't say you know randomized loot drops in destiny are illegal because you don't really know you know it's just like a weird yeah it's weird right it's a super gray area so it'll be really interesting to see i just hate that like we're not talking about violence here right and so i just hate that like countries feel the need to like stick their nose and like video games like video games aren't bad 
there are bad things about video games, but there are bad things about everything. But it's like, man, just leave. Like, it's not like you're trying to ban, you know, Terrorist Simulator 2018. Like, right. it's just. Yeah, and I think, you know, Gary and I got into this because he, of course, takes the stance that he thinks loot boxes are cancer. And while I don't think loot boxes are the best thing since sliced bread by any means, um, I also don't think that they're as terrible as people are making them out to be. And clearly, if they were so awful and people hated them so much, nobody would buy them. But we keep buying them. Like, I keep buying Silver and Destiny and going to see Tess at Eververse because I, I... I enjoy doing it and I'm an adult that makes my own decisions. And I know that this, a lot of this comes back to, uh, you know, children and their ability to access loot boxes and Mm -hmm. how it could instill a gambling addiction to kids at a young age. And I understand that there's a whole argument to be made there, but I, the, the kind of stance that I took on this was, Hey, like don't tell adults how to behave. Like it's about personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to minors, you know, the, that really kind of then falls on the parent. If a child goes and steals something from a convenience store, that child doesn't go to jail. The parent is the one who gets in trouble. Yep. So if you really well, want, the kid would there go to, to be juvenile some, delinquency, wouldn't it? Like, depends kid, on how old. Depends on how old they are, though. That's true. Um, and so like I don't want to get too far in the weeds with my example, but like my point, my point is, let me be try to be succinct here, <laughs> is that. You know, if people are worried about children, there are plenty of restrictions within each of the different consoles Mm -hmm. to restrict access to microtransactions uh, within these financial ecosystems. And if we need to make those more robust, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I think the platform makers have been doing that. Yeah. Um, And the idea that it should be the burden should be on publishers to, you know, take these loot boxes out of their game or microtransactions out of their game. It's just like, I'm just of the mindset that like, the right or wrongness of the loot box to me is ancillary. The idea that the government is stepping in and trying to tell the video games industry how to police themselves is the part that I have the problem sure. with. And to underline your point, because I can take this stance in a very indignant way, just be better parents. Real talk. Like, just Jessica and I are in the industry. We have a very firm stance on gun control and gun laws and all of those things. And video games have guns. And we recognize that. And so we've just decided to be good parents and let our child know that this is a video game or whatever. And so to your point, like, just be better parents. I don't know. Like, it's a hard, like, I hear people argue it all the time. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I hate to say this, but it sounds like you're just not being a good parent right now. Yeah. See, you can say that. I don't have 100%, kids, so I no, can't, I can't it, get away with that. But, but absolutely, like, Emerson plays Roblox all the time. And it's so easy to spend a million dollars in Roblox. Unless, as a parent, I just go in there and take an extra 10 minutes of my day to make sure that there is no way for him to spend any real money. It's See, this is my point. You yes. know? Kids only have the money that you give to them. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> or with it, it really is that easy. Your wallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that is, he's not quite he's not he there yet. the dexterity yet for that. But like, yeah, I mean, publishers, to your point, they do provide the, the safety and security you just do have to take that extra step as a parent or a guardian or somebody responsible in the household to like turn that stuff off. I yeah. can see you know, it's not just where, sorry, I was going to let you finish your, your thought. No, no, it's fine. Oh. I, I, I think I was finished. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I can see like why government officials slash politicians feel like they might need to come step in only because I don't know of any other industry that is as self-regulating as the gaming industry. Like, so the story of loot boxes, taking a journey, 
a lot of it, not obviously the very beginning of it, but FIFA was a lot of why EA started to put that in other games. Because they're like, holy Mm -hmm. shit, we're making hand over fist with FIFA and these fucking cards. Put them in everything. Why would you not put them in everything? They got overzealous, Mm -hmm. right? They got really carried away with it. It started doing like really icky things with it. Then the, like the community backlash of it is what brought it back to a hopefully normal place. But Mm -hmm. I do see like why other people wouldn't understand that that's a thing that would happen. Like, what do you mean you would listen to the people who are purchasing your products? Why would you ever listen to them? That's not a thing we do. No, the government must tell us what to do. Right. So, like, I kind I'm of get you. it. But it's it's just we are such a weird, unique little industry. Well, we're not little, but we are perceived yeah. that way for some reason. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on this and see what EA in Belgium get up to. <laughs> I uh, smell a settlement out of court. Um, <laughs> for an undisclosed sum of money to the Belgian government. They're like, can we accurate. just pay this? Yeah. How much money do we need to throw at you to make this go away? We yeah. just, yeah, we just want you to shut up about this. Yes. Yeah. And that will <laughs> who's, happen. Whose campaign do we need to donate <laughs> right, to? Right, <laughs> Oh, politics. Um, all right. Our last story in the news segment is all about Alan Wake. So this is an exclusive story from Variety. Peter Calloway to adapt Alan Wake for television. Mm. An Alan Wake live action television series is in development with Peter Calloway, who is known from Cloak and Dagger and Legion, and signed on as a showrunner and a writer, along with game creator Sam Lake as executive producer and Contraindication Films and Remedy Entertainment. Contradiction partner Thomas Harlan said the plan is to start shopping the show around in October with Calloway's full pitch. He said he's already seen initial interest from a number of studios. Alan Wake was basically a TV series that was put into a game, Harlan Toad Variety. That was Sam's vision. It was influenced by The Twilight Zone, Secret Window, Hitchcock, Northern Exposure, a lot of U.S. television, he said. We plan to work closely with Sam on our show. Sam is a huge part of this. This is his baby. Alan Wake was, of course, released on the Xbox 360 and PC back in 2010, followed the fictitious best-selling author Alan Wake on a journey to a small town in Washington where he hopes to rid himself of prolonged writer's block. What follows is an increasingly surreal experience that seems to bring the plot from his last novel, which he has no memory of writing, to life. Um, The article actually goes into quite a bit of depth about um, what Sam Lake is doing with Contraindication Films and their plans for the series. And what I thought was really interesting... Uh, let me jump into a little bit farther down the the article here. Uh, Lake told Variety that while Wake is very much the heart of this story, there are vitally important characters around him as well. The story of the original game is our starting point, the seed which will grow into the bigger story we're exploring with this show. We'll be expanding the lore of this crazy and dark universe and diving deeper into certain aspects of it than the game ever did. That includes tapping into the, some of the story planned for that unreleased second game. Mm. So, of course, Alan Wake 2 was... Has been rumored for years now. This should we call it Alan Wakes Up? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Steimer, but then that would destroy the illusion. I know. I just thought it was stupid and I wanted to say it. It's good. <laughs> as a as a dad, I can tell you I approve of that joke. <laughs> yeah. As a strong no, that means dad you're joke. You're doing dad jokes, yeah, Steimer. Yeah, that is a good dad joke. <laughs> 
Um, so I actually never really got into Alan Wake. Okay. Did you enjoy your time with it? Yeah. I mean, Stephen King's my favorite author of all time. My son's middle name is Roland, named after the protagonist in the Gunslinger series. Like, I love Stephen King. And Sam Lake has said more than once that Alan Wake was inspired by many things, as you as you said there, including the works of Stephen King. I mean, that the story of Alan Wake as a game is very Stephen Kingy, And a writer goes to a weird place because some fucked up shit happened in his novel. What's <laughs> happening? That's a, that's a very... Stephen King thing. Uh, so yeah, I love it. Uh, give me more of that world. Give me more of that inspiration. My hope is that at some point, Uncle Stevie, which is what Stephen King refers to himself as, will get involved in some capacity. So I'm all in. Give me more of that. As a game, it was okay. Yeah. But yeah. as a story and a premise, I'm I'm very much on board with it. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, it feels like this was ready-made for TV, especially since it seems like spooky thriller horror all of these genres are having a resurgence yep. uh, lately particularly in the digital space you know hulu's and netflix mm-hmm. and things like that mm-hmm. and um i did not see this coming at all but now that it's been announced I'm, i could be on board for this yeah it was a cult like it wasn't a like uh critically it did okay it certainly didn't do massive sales numbers but like it has developed a cult following right like if yeah, you're an definitely. Alan Wake fan like, uh, to go back to G4 for a second, I, Adam Sessler, who I worked at G4, I know that he loved Alan Wakes. And so I think that, like, the people that really love that game, like, really love that game. And so there's an audience. Yeah. Obviously, they wouldn't be making it if there wasn't. I wanted to like that game, but I it just freaked me out too much. So it was one of those things. <laughs> where, like, the flashlight, your fucking batteries are always going out. Yeah. I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Like, I just, yeah. I noped out after a few hours because I was like, this is high stress. <laughs> yeah, I don't like stressful video games but i enjoy watching horror films and tv series because when it gets stressful i can like plug my ears or close my eyes Mm -hmm. and then the scary part's over and then i can enjoy the rest of the story but in video games you have to drive it yeah Yeah. i know that's what brit loves but i just i know but like how many other people do you know that scream (laughs) with their eyes open like not very many, <laughs> but Brittany's like, I see you. So, so Blair, we did a a, a Facebook watch series last fall okay. uh, called Lights Off, where we record- I, I saw it. Yeah, yeah so I saw we recorded it. ourselves in the dark with an infrared camera. Yeah, and what we discovered through sorting through many many hours of footage was that Brittany like screams like wide eyed open, whereas Steimer and I are like. Eh, yeah. We close that we clench and like close our eyes, like which I would think is the natural. Yeah, normally reaction. you scream because you're scared of something and you're closing your eyes because yeah. you don't want to see that something, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. But yep. Brittany wants to get Brit- closer but Brittany, to it. Brittany, like, oh, yeah, sure. she like okay. leans in and her eyes are like wide open. It's fascinating. <laughs> it's like she doesn't want to miss the horror. Yeah. yeah. What did she think about that when she saw herself doing that? What was that? What was that I like? I don't. I think she didn't think twice about no, it. No, okay. she's like, yeah. What do you mean? Isn't that? She's like, <laughs> she thinks that everybody normal. do that. Yeah, you're like, no, you're actually the uh, exception and not the rule. <laughs> yeah, like, you're the exception. Oh, but that's why we love her so very much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. All right. Well, we're gonna take a short break while we wrap up the first segment here. When we come back. We have so much to talk about. Blair's been playing Spider-Man. I know that Britt and Steimer talked about that last week. I have been playing Destiny 2 Forsaken, which I'm very excited to talk about. And, of course, Shadow of the Tomb Raider is out this week as well. So lots to chat about. Stick with us, everybody. We'll be right back.
everybody. It's segment two of the What's Good Games podcast. And before we get into our hands-on, I've been meaning to show you guys. So our our long-lost love, Alexa Ray, gave me this for my birthday. Oh my if you God, follow me so on cute. Instagram, you might have seen it. If um, you're listening on podcasts, it is a giant stuffed seal. And because of our running seal bando joke, she made a little adjustment to it. Oh. Wait for it. Wait, how did she do that? So <laughs> How does she reprogram a stuffed animal? <laughs> so you guys, so she there's a there's little flippers on the seal. Yep. She cut open one of the flippers and inserted this little recorder. So she custom recorded this this the the careless whisper with the seal noise and then sewed it back up into the so crafty oh my god yeah, into the seal well she used to make cosplay stuff oh that's um, true i was like i wouldn't know how to do that but uh-huh. yeah she, does, she yeah. knows how to sew i wouldn't either but he's so soft and so derpy looking um but it was really sweet of her so i wanted to show you guys uh i, th- I thought you guys would appreciate that is so cute the, the seal bando um and someday we might get Alexa Ray back on this show. I've been I've been working at it. I've, I've I said to her, I go, who do I need to talk to at Nintendo? Let's make this happen. Do I need to call Bill? I will call Bill. Do I need to call Reggie? Let's go. Let's call Reggie. Um, so we had a good laugh about it. But uh, she's doing well and things are good and she misses you all and she sends her love. So on to games we've been playing. So in the break, um, Blair had asked if we had been playing Tomb Raider and I said I finished Tomb Raider. And you said that you thought it was unfortunate. Yes, I did uh, think it was very unfortunate <laughs> that it came out in the shadow of Spider-Man. Yes, yeah, so you're, you're not wrong. I, I feel like I want to give you like a wah, wah, yeah. wah for mm. your really terrible joke. No, it's a dad joke. That's the beautiful thing about being a dad. Everything is excused now. It's just a dad joke. All shitty jokes are dad jokes. Please tell me that Jessica has a, a special look she gives you for the dad jokes. Well, I mean, there's, she's got a lot of looks that she gives me depending <laughs> on the situation. But, uh, you know, you'd be surprised. Jessica makes some really shitty mom jokes, too. So it's okay. Like, we're very much on the same page with this stuff. She is cool for all of you at home that love her. But she's also not cool sometimes. I don't want to break the illusion, but well, she's I think very we're not all cool human, too. Yeah, okay, yeah, you yeah. know we have our moments. Yeah, she's super dorky. She likes my dad jokes. She would have never fallen in love with me if she like wanted somebody with a highbrow sense of humor. So very true. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, but it is a. I know you played a bunch. It is a great game, and it is just unfortunately in the release window of what will become probably the most dominant game of the year. So. One thing I thought was super weird, or just felt very jarring to me, and if you, since you guys have played both, I wonder if you'll agree or not. But so I, I finished Spider Man and then kind of jumped into Tomb Raider, and it was so bizarre for me to go from a game where you never <laughs> kill anybody. You like even if you kick someone off a building, I was like, I've clearly murdered lots of people. I've kicked them off a building. How would they have survived? They would smash on the ground and fall and die. Except yep. mm-hmm. I watched. And they've built in an animation. And if you kick someone off a building, they are spiderweb sucked to the side of the building. Are they really? They are. I looked. Because I was like, I clearly That's killed that brilliant. dude. Oh, my God. They What? They programmed that? Holy shit. They really didn't want you to like feel like you could kill someone. Wow. Um, That's a great Easter egg. So that I'm going On the opposite side Raider. of that coin. Yeah, Laura, Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Yeah. Where She's you a kill murder machine. Everyone. It's brutal. Yeah. It yeah. was a very sort of a I felt weird about it. I'm like shanking mm-hmm. a guy and I'm like, oh, 
don't I don't know how yeah. I feel about this anymore because I just came from like wholesome Spider Man where even though you knock someone in the head with something really heavy, they don't yeah. get a concussion or die from it somehow. Yeah. I want to say something along the lines of I wish that Crystal had built in a non-lethal option, but I don't. Honestly, Trinity, they're bad dudes. I will say that there is an enemy type that I'm going to not spoil that you meet about midway through the game that feels wrong to murder, despite the fact that the murder animations, if they approach you are really brutal. Yeah. Like, they smash your skull in kind of brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wish that there was a way to potentially, you know, not murder people. But Trinity is proven to be, like, real bad news bears. So yeah. I- I'm cool with it there. But she is... They weren't kidding when they said that she's at the height of her powers. Right. And that she is, you know, very efficient. And she's become, like, Rambo. Yeah. This whole idea of becoming one with the jungle and putting the mud on her face and hiding in the yeah. vine walls and up in the trees and things like that was really fun. So um, I'm finished with the game. I rolled credits at about 75% completion mm-hmm. because of the new open world areas. There's a lot of the smaller collectibles and some of the challenge tombs and crypts that I didn't quite get to. But um, I've seen all of the story now. And so uh, what they do when you finish is that they kick you back into the world before the final boss fight. So that you can go around huh. and complete everything and then you can do the final boss fight, kind of like Horizon Zero Dawn does. Yep. Or you can do, I believe, a new game plus where you start okay. over with all of your um, abilities and mm. your upgrades. Hmm. So, um, Steimer, um, how far are you in the game? I'm only like 25%. I'm still pretty pretty fresh because I also thought I could just jump into Destiny 2 Forsaken. Realized I hadn't done any of the other content. Like, I still have Osiris shit that I need to do. And I was like, well, technically Aww. you could have auto leveled your character up. Yeah, but that costs money. Doesn't what? it? Wait, how do I auto level them? I don't know how to do it. I didn't look it up. Well, I was just like, man, I guess I have to do window this. Window and so when I you did. buy Forsaken. Wait, what? Have you installed the Forsaken code yet? It's just, I don't know. It's just on there as like a thing that I can go to. Right. But, but did you go to the PlayStation store and buy Forsaken or did you enter the code? No, because I have, oh. I had the, uh, the kind of destiny code that gave me all of the, all of the expansions. Oh, hmm. I think. Well, anyways, was Forsaken included on that? No. I feel like Forsaken's probably no. not a part of any expansion oh, is it not? set. Oh, yeah, no. maybe that's right? what's going on. Yeah, yeah. So Why I think that's trying to ask me for money. What a stupid game! <laughs> <laughs> you would you would think the first thing. Where's they would the loot do, box? Yeah, where's the would, Forsaken loot box? Well, I think if you <laughs> go to the Forsaken, it'll be like, hey, you need to purchase. It the, says this. nothing. Really? Huh? It's like I click on it, but nothing happened. Like it won't let me. It just won't let me interact at all. Oh, yeah, that's a missed opportunity. Yeah. They should yeah. redirect you to the store. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I'm like, why wouldn't you just tell me? It's like a broken Wait, skew or something. You need to actually buy this thing separately. Please go to here. Well, we'll we'll get you a code and get you all squared away. So if you don't want to finish the Osiris I stuff, I don't we can, like uh, it. Okay, good. It's I'll, boring. We'll auto-level you. We're going to shelve <laughs> the Destiny conversation for a second because I have lots of things to say about it. Um, but let's focus right now on Tomb Raider. Okay. Um, so obviously, just as a, a disclaimer for everybody out there, you guys know that we partnered with Square Enix at PAX West to do our Life is Strange 2 event. You know that I've been hosting several panels for Square Enix and Shadow of the Tomb Raider throughout the con season this summer. And so if you want to take what I'm saying about Shadow of the Tomb Raider or, or the... 
stance that we have uh, as an outlet um, with a grain of salt. I just want to be transparent with everybody that, yes, we have done a lot of sponsored work with uh, Square Enix, and they have provided us with early advanced copies of the game that we got to play. That being said, Steimer, are you enjoying your time with, t- with Tomb Raider? Uh, for the most part, yes. It definitely, granted, I'm still super early on. It feels very samey to me which is not a bad thing i don't mean that in a negative Mm -hmm. way it feels like a lot of the older games um i think just coming off spider-man it's a little bit of like a i don't even want to say a letdown but like i think that the way spider-man crafted their story was so well done and so far i'm not feeling as invested in tomb raider's story and i think that might have to do with the issue that i felt in the second tomb raider where i don't connect with Lara as a character the way i want to because I think she's just so narcissistic that it drives me up a fucking wall <laughs> and I can't handle it. And I'm just like, Meh! like, <laughs> stop. But I mean, as even though I talked about feeling weird about it, obviously killing dudes, very fun in this game. So and in life, I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know what you guys are talking about. Yeah, the combat, I, I think the way that they've improved the combat makes those sequences a lot more fun. I will say I was surprised that there isn't nearly as much combat in this game as I would have thought, considering how much emphasis they put on revamping the combat mm-hmm. system. The new stealth system is much better. I really love how I don't really need to use guns almost for anything. I'm using my bow almost exclusively when I'm in combat encounters. And that a lot of times you're really not interacting with human enemies in these wave after wave after wave like we did in the first two Uh games there is clearly a much bigger emphasis on world building and storytelling through the open world areas and the side Mm -hmm. quests than Mm -hmm. there was in the previous two games which felt a little bit more linear and because of that I felt like these combat encounters were kind of shoehorned in there to make it feel like there was more content yes they do that a lot sometimes yeah but I've been I've been really having a great time with it, and I really loved it. I'm planning to go back and um, play more of the challenge tombs. That was something that they clearly needed to do better. The first Tomb Raider in the reboot just did not have enough. It had like a like a handful of mm-hmm. tombs that were not that difficult to solve. The second game expanded, added some challenge tombs, but this game has really kind of doubled yep. the amount of tombs that they have even in Rise. So if you are a fan of the tomb part of Tomb Raider, mm-hmm. you're going to absolutely love the tombs here. The challenge tombs were really really challenging in some areas. I started off playing on normal difficulty across all of the sliders because I just wanted to see what the baseline experience was. And then I got to this one tomb and I was just like running around for what felt like hours trying to figure out what to do. So finally I was like, all right, I'm going to put the slider down. Easy. <laughs> just knock that down a peg. <laughs> and then what I, what I love about it, though, is that it right away highlighted the thing I needed to do in a different color to indicate this is about part of this difficulty setting. Yeah. So I know that if I uh, turned it back up, even if I was using her survival instincts to give me some hints that it wasn't going to give me the hint that the other difficulty slider huh. gave me. So I really liked that. And then I ended up just leaving the slider on easy. Um, I probably should have turned it back up because then it got to, got to be almost too easy. Right, yeah. right. So I had to stop using survival instinct if I wanted to try to figure it out myself. Yeah. But I didn't try it on the hardest difficulty where she says nothing. Yeah. And survival instinct doesn't highlight anything. You just got to figure it out on your own. Yeah. 
Um, but the design, the level design is so well done in this game. Uh, they really put an emphasis on verticality with the new spelunking maneuvers. So mm-hmm. you have your pickaxes as per usual and yep. they've uh, added this ability to repel down and up and you really use that in traversal quite a bit throughout the tombs yep. sections of the games and some of the crypts as well. And I really enjoyed that part of it, the traversal navigation. I'm not going to pretend like I didn't continue to die a lot in very graphic ways. <laughs> Dude, I die. I feel like I die so much more in this game than in other yeah. like third person action games, just from falling to my death or like yeah. just like no. I she hit, dies I hit the hard too. Yeah, like spears yeah, through the face. She yeah, she dies real hard. Um, yeah, but that I was, was bad. Oh wait, no, actually, I won't talk about this because it might be a spoiler. So, but. Um, there were only two things that sort of are frustrating me right now. Because for the most part, I think it's fairly traditional Tomb Raider gameplay that I really enjoy. Mm-hmm. Number one, they've added a lot more underwater, which for me, I'm like, man. Oh, see, I, I, I was literally driving in my car thinking about how great the underwater sequences are in this game. Really? I most people don't like it. underwater levels. No. The, the way that they designed the underwater levels here, like whenever I saw a body of water that I could swan dive into, I immediately did it. Because I knew that there was going to be some something down there for me, whether it be resources that I could c- uh, collect for crafting, uh-huh. or there'd be like a treasure, like a little box that had like um, like animal hides or something in it or maybe there would be where an I keep my animal to- hides in the bottom <laughs> of the fucking ocean <laughs> well i mean suspension of disbelief this is no i know, I know. But, but but i mean like the what you get from the those little um urns where you can yeah those those little survival is randomized um and i just thought the water looked so beautifully done and the last time i remember seeing water that looked this pretty was in assassin's creed for black flag in the caribbean because this is set the most of it is set in peru in the peruvian rainforest Mm -hmm. and the vibrancy of the way that the water looks is just so pretty and i felt like the underwater swimming mechanic was done so smoothly that I really enjoyed it, but I also upgraded my breath right away. It was one of the first things in the skill tree that I spent points on because I knew that I hate the anxiety I get when I'm underwater and I'm running out of air. Yes. Screen starts to shrink a little bit on you. Yeah, you're just like, I'm dying, I'm dying. So, Yeah. yeah, I did upgrade that. Not the first thing, but like one of the, you know, first few rounds. Um, the thing that was mostly irritating to me, and it's not a lot, so I don't want to like, freak anybody out about this but they have added enemies to underwater like fucking piranhas and eels and i'm like can you not i'm stressed out enough (laughs) thinking i'm going to suffocate down here i don't need to worry about these things biting me to death or this thing wrapping around me for some fucking reason like just chill just chill out let me be stressed out enough by almost like suffocating to death yeah, getting from point yeah. to point where she takes. I'm always like, Laura, you're you are a badass because you just take one breath and then you're good to go. Like to then, I'm like, I, I would be there like, <gasps> oh god, oh god, I'm about to die. <laughs> I'm with you there. I did did not appreciate the one hit kill piranhas, yeah. which. I had to learn by dying to them quite viciously. Um, the eels, at least, you can, you fight, can fight. But, yeah. of course, it, the longer you're fighting an eel underwater, it takes up yeah. some of your breath time. But, yeah, the the stealth sections underwater felt a little unnecessary, like an unnecessary challenge, yeah. something that's already challenging. Yeah. Um, but that being said, there aren't that many of them. The piranhas don't make a lot of appearances, which no. I appreciated. Yeah, and there's... Yeah, there's several underwater sequences where there's no enemies at all. Yeah, and there there have been in one of the cities that I won't say where, but um, 
some fun little areas where like there it looks like it's just like a a water thing in the in the I'm not even sure how to like a pool in your house. But if you mm. dive down into it, like there's little exploratory things that are really fun. Um so yeah, so the main part about the swimming that I really hated was just those like adding stealth to swimming. Yeah. I don't Stop have swimming. scuba gear down here, so we can't like <laughs> chill out and hide in a bush for that long. I feel like there's some swimming shit we should unpack with you at some point because I think it goes deeper than video games, but uh, but I hear you on this. Hey, I learned to scuba this year. <laughs> oh, good for you. Yeah. yeah in, some magical um, world in down Cozumel, there. right? Uh, no, no Cabo. in Cabo, Cabo San Lucas. Yeah. Um, Cozumel is where one of the scenes in Shadow of the Tomb Raider is. Ah, um, yes. But yeah, so the I thought it was good. There's. Um, they put a nice button on the end of the trilogy story, mm-hmm. which is great because I think Trinity was kind of wearing out their welcome. And so the way that they wrap it up, I think is really nicely done. And they kind of have left the door open for them to do more with Lara, but it's clear that they're going to take some time away from it for a while. Uh, we actually had some people write in here. Scott wrote into Dear WGG and says, Hello, ladies, with Tomb Raider coming out to mixed reviews and reviewers that respect, like the past guests on your show, Kim Wallace, saying some of the game feels half-baked. What do you think the future of the series will be? The game has never been a huge seller, and with this game reviews being mixed, will Ms. Croft be put on the shelf for a while? Um Huge seller, I think, is relative. Yeah. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's always sold multi-million units. Yeah. This franchise has been around yeah. for quite some time, and it has a rabid fan base, uh, which I discovered after working with Square at several of their uh, community events. But I think it is more to Blair's, uh, you know, kind of assertion at the beginning of the segment that it's in the shadow of. Spider-Man yep. and Spider-Man is just such a stellar game that mm-hmm. it's really having a hard time competing. I think the advantage that Tomb Raider has is that it's multi-platform, right? And yep. Spider-Man is yep. locked to PS4. And so this gives people who are playing on Xbox or playing on PC something to play right now because otherwise there's not another AAA release really until yep. October. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a couple other video games obviously that are coming out, but I don't think anything as tentpole yeah. until... Yeah, I think that if people don't buy it now, it's something they will buy, whether that be at full retail price or on a discount or part of a whatever. But it's um, I look at Tomb Raider like it's it's interesting. Like I, what I'm most grateful for with the Tomb Raider uh, series and taking a step back from like gameplay to gameplay. Like when you look at the trilogy, what she's become, she's at the peak of her powers. But like taking a step back from a storytelling perspective, like you got to see the the evolution of a human being and. For me, like I grew up a little boy in the 80s. I had Indiana Jones. And I feel like Lara, this version of Lara, could be that Indiana Jones for a generation of, of girls who were me as a little boy in the 80s. And so I think like we could all learn something from gaming in that, even if it does well, even if it's, you know, the ratings are actually, they're not bad, they're not good, they're whatever. But it's like, like Indiana Jones, it's okay to leave a franchise alone for like a decade. Like if people love mm-hmm. it, they'll come back to it. We didn't want to come back to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull or whatever the fuck that Indiana Jones movie was <laughs> called. But the point is, is like we were okay with waiting. We were okay with what we had. Mm-hmm. So like let it be if you need to let it be, you know, and, and maybe this, uh, again, the sales are definitely being affected by Spider-Man right now. But, you know, if the sales 
make Square just put it on the back burner for a couple years, I think that's okay. You know, I don't think people are going to forget yeah. about Tomb Raider. I think they'll be just excited years from now when they come back with whatever it is. Yeah, I think giving it a nice long break is the right call. And obviously, Crystal Dynamics is working on their upcoming Avengers title. Mm-hmm. So that team, not that to say that they aren't not big enough that they could have multiple teams working on multiple projects, but... Um, I think that I would like to see it take a little bit of a break and yeah. have them go in a, you know, in a more, you know, revamped direction. I, but that being said, I really enjoyed my time with this game. I wholeheartedly recommend it. You know, when you look at the spectrum of reviews out there, um, I understand some of the criticisms. Um, I know a lot of people keep pointing to the GameSpot review, which gave it a six, and. Well, we don't believe in scoring review mm-hmm. or scoring games here at What's Good Games. Um, I kind of feel compelled to say that I felt like that score was very unfair um, after having played through the game myself. Normally, a game that's a six has either some really heavy narrative problems or some really heavy technical, technical problems. Yep. Yeah. And this yeah. game has neither. It has a, cu- a couple issues here and there. Like there's an argument to be made about uh, how some of the stealth doesn't feel balanced and how some of the AI doesn't feel balanced and how there's not a lot of narrative reason to go hunt down some of these extra weapons when you can just max out the upgrades on some of the yeah. weapons that you have. And the, but I also haven't played it on max difficulty, so maybe that's where a lot of this yeah. other stuff comes into play. I don't want to get too in the weeds with like all of the different r- reasons why, but if you're a fan of the Tomb Raider reboot trilogy, if you've played Tomb Raider, you've played Rise, you will enjoy Shadow of the Tomb Raider. If you've never played a Tomb Raider game, this might be the one to get into. You don't need to know the story Mm -hmm. elements from the previous two to understand what's happening in this story. Um, But if you don't like action-adventure with a stealth component, then this probably isn't the game for you. And there's plenty of other things out there for you to try. But I really enjoyed it. It looks beautiful on Xbox One X. I have not seen it on on a Pro. Are you playing it on your PS Pro? No, I'm playing on Xbox One X. Um, and I'm playing it with prioritized frame rate, and it just it looks oh, I gorgeous. Have, I have it flipped. <laughs> you I, playing with resolution? Uh, yeah, I have it for resolution. I don't know why. Do you, it's just it defaulted to that, and I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> why not? I'll give it a try. <laughs> yeah, I tried, it, I tried it with both, and I just kind of liked the look of frame rate better. And uh, I find in combat sequences in particular that having... Um, high frame rate seems to hmm. make the game run a little bit smoother. I mean, I probably it's all about personal switch it preference. <laughs> it's all about personal preference. Um, but yeah, so if you guys have any other questions about Shadow of the Tomb Raider, let us know. Obviously, I want to hear what Brittany has to say about it when she comes back. Probably would be a little bit before she gets to it, though, since um, I don't believe she took a console with her. She maybe took her Switch. Yeah, I don't think uh, cruise ships in general are known for their <laughs> rocking, like, <laughs> power supplies so you shouldn't probably bring a console there yeah yeah indeed um so let's now move to um blair before we get to destiny let's talk Mm. about um you've been playing spider-man and dead cells we've been talking a little bit about spider-man yeah um are you uh going for the plat 
Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Like, I think that's probably my favorite thing about the game. Uh, and uh, full disclosure, Ryan Schneider from Insomniac is one of my dear friends, and also my cycling coach, which we'll get into later. Oh, so, Ryan is great. So he's a great dude who's helped me out a lot in life. So my opinion of that of this game is not painted by that, but I want you to know that he's a dear friend of mine. Uh, but no, I, I think what I love about Spider Man as a dad who has very limited time to play games, I am not normally incentivized to finish a game 100%. Like, I'll finish the story because I love... RPGs are my favorite genre. I love story. That I love reading. I read a lot of... Wow, that sounds weird. I read a lot of books, but I, <laughs> reading is my reading is my favorite pastime. I love reading. Um, that's why I love RPGs. I love stories and games. But I'm not often incentivized to do things beyond finish a story. I want to 100% Spider-Man. Because it's just... An, it, it feels like the first crackdown, and it's like... There's just Ooh, enough orbs out there to where language. I know I can collect all these shits. You know what I mean? Where it's like, it's not 700 orbs, it's just 300. And just I think enough. 300 are in my reach. Yeah, yeah. so so I, I think they did a wonderful job of balancing, um, obviously, story and gameplay aside, which are stellar, stellar. Like, gameplay alone, the mechanics of this game are just... It's, it's Sunset. When they made Sunset Overdrive, I went. Uh, Ryan and I were talking. I was like, "Dude, they, you got to get your hands on like Spider Man or Superman or something." And then you know they announced Spider Man. I was like, "This is going to make a lot of sense when you make this." Um, but they balance the that gamer itch too, because we all as gamers also have that additional thing we want from games. And for some people, it's collecting things, and for other people, it's something else. But there's just enough extra stuff to do. So I will 100 percent this game, uh, and it's great. I am. I'm grateful. As I sit in a PlayStation household, I am grateful that <laughs> that Sony has this. But you hit on a great point. Like, it does bum me out that people that don't have PlayStations aren't experiencing this. What, quite frankly, between this and God of War, they are they're really missing out on some. They really incredible are. <laughs> experiences. And like revelatory gaming experiences, I think. Yeah, I mean, and as you mentioned, we're a PlayStation household. You know, I was with John when he got to watch his name animated in the end credits, which was such a moment for him because he's been working on right. this deal and for Spider-Man with PlayStation for years at yeah. this point with Insomniac and, you know, and the team over at Sony. And so he's been really excited about it. And... You know, obviously, we talk about on the show a lot that we do the majority of our console gaming on PlayStation 4. They just have kind of really dominated this generation. And I was a diehard 360 fan. Mm -hmm. I never turned on my PS3. I turned it on to play Uncharted and The Last of Us. And like yeah. that was pretty much it. Yeah. And so not to say that I'm disappointed with what Xbox has done, because I still think that they have a lot of potential, particularly after the crazy studio announcement yeah, that they made. I love E3. what they're doing. Yeah. That they clearly are making a play to catch up, at least if not in this generation and the next one. Yep. Um, but it's hard to make an argument if you people are saying, you know, should I buy an Xbox or should I buy a PlayStation? It's hard to make an argument why why not PlayStation? Yeah. You know, like why would you get an Xbox over PlayStation at this particular point in time? Yeah. Um, and Spider Man is a great reason. And I know there's some people out there that are holding out hope. I would never hold your breath. I doubt yeah. Spider-Man is ever going to leave console exclusivity. I yeah. don't I don't anticipate that coming at any point. And well, it's going to be like Street Fighter 5. Like that game is always and forever a, a PS4 exclusive. Yeah. I think that you know there there's probably an argument to be made uh about either console. I mean I I feel like we 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 you guys too like we own all the consoles and whatever and I and I say that I probably get equal use out of all of them. I think just like taking a step back, my statement on gaming in general is that 
While I appreciate the fact that gaming is a business, I wish it wasn't so much of a business that exclusivity needed to happen right. because I want everybody to experience this stuff. I really do. I want uh, people to experience League of Legends on a console. Like, I mean, it's just across the board. Like you just, There are just certain kind of definitive gaming experiences that, for the most part, are usually siloed off onto one particular platform. and. It just sucks, you know, like it really, really does suck. It does. And, uh, you know, it'll never change because it's a business and I understand that. But, you know, but it is one of those things where I can say that uh, without any question that if you if you do not have a PlayStation, you have you, you should buy one for this game in much the same way you should buy one for God of War if you hadn't already done so. You know what I mean? It's like it's that level of I remember the last time I truly felt that way was when Gears came out for Xbox. I was like, if you don't have an Xbox, now is your reason to buy an Xbox. And that's how I feel about Spider-Man. Like, that's how good this game is. Dude, I actually haven't really kind of dipped my toes in yet. Um, but I'm excited to to do so. I just like when I got back from Copenhagen when I was out of out of the country last week um I had Spider-Man installed and I had Destiny and I had Tomb Raider and I was like I know once I start Spider-Man I'm going to get sucked yeah. down that rabbit hole yeah. so I was like you know what I'm just going to delay really getting into it um and I finished Tomb Raider uh, which I was happy that it wasn't like a <laughs> like a 100 hour experience <laughs> right, thank right. you square um and um, I've obviously been playing a lot of Destiny, which we're going to talk about. But, man, it feels so nice to see a team like Insomniac have mm-hmm. such a great win. Obviously, PlayStation has had quite a few wins over the last few years. But yeah. like you, I know many people that work at Insomniac. And I know just how dedicated they are to the craft and yeah. how they've really stayed true as a studio to their creative vision. And... They haven't had like a huge win in a while. Obviously, Ratchet and Clank was very big for them, but it wasn't like this big like publicity win in yeah. the same way, even though it sold really well. Yeah. And I was talking to a friend of mine who works there, and I said to him, I was like, I'm just like so happy for you guys yeah. that you guys are going to have this like mega blockbuster success because you're a studio that's been independent for so many years and continues to put out quality games mm-hmm. and you you deserve a big pat on the back for all of the work you've done. Yeah. So I hope they get it. Yeah. And it does, like, I will say, it does say a lot about, I know oftentimes people see a licensed game and they go, why are why is that studio working on that? But, you know, looking back at what Insomniac's done, I loved Sunset Overdrive. I thought Sunset Overdrive was a Same. phenomenal top 10 game of that year. But it was a new IP and new IPs are hard. And so I'm glad that Insomniac did a licensed game because people are paying attention now to how great Insomniac is as a developer. And that makes me happy, you know, because they do great work. And Ratchet was a great example of like critically acclaimed, sold well, sold well at a lower price point. I believe it was like 40 bucks when it came out. Now it's, you, they, you know, Spider-Man's a big franchise. People are paying attention to them and they're making a ton of money. So it's, it's good across the board for them. Yes. Yeah. Spider-Man. Um, Steimer, mm-hmm. you have been getting back into Destiny. Sort of. Now, uh, <laughs> your trials with Curse of Osiris aside, the first expansion, um, are you excited to get into some Forsaken? Or are you just like, am I dragging you kicking and screaming? I'm not kicking or screaming, but you are going to drag me a little bit. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, okay. Here's my hand. 
lead me. Um, because <laughs> especially what I've been playing with Osiris, I'm like, oh my God, the mission design is so fucking boring. I want to kill myself. Like, it's literally just, that's so super overdramatic, but like, <laughs> it's just like too much of the, I walk into an area, I kill a wave of dudes, I move on. I walk into an area, I kill a wave of dudes, I move on. And like, especially after coming off of these other games where the mission design is really varied and they put a lot of care and effort into it <laughs> so that you don't get that fatigue to experience it and especially like an expansion that's only a few hours long and I'm like you couldn't have like mixed this up at all like the slightest bit I don't know so to me that's <laughs> you're so upset about this I love I, it so much uh, welcome to our show where I bitch about everything and <laughs> for some reason people listen to it um it's true but so yeah so that but I keep here I just keep hearing people really being excited about forsaken and saying that it's doing all these wonderful things. So I am just trying to keep my chin up and like get through the other stuff. Although now I'm apparently going to go skip it, but it will get yeah, you to skip I, it. I, I don't, I don't need to play the old stuff. I just want to, I just want to nah. play the good stuff. Show me the, don't show me back. your best yeah. Bungie. Before we get started, I just want to say thank you to Activision for providing me with a promotional code for Destiny 2 Forsaken. Um, just so you guys are aware, they did give me that copy of the expansion for free. Now that that is out of the way, obviously I've been talking about Destiny on What's Good Games since we've launched. You guys know that um, I lead the What's Good Guardians, our awesome PS4 clan. I believe somebody started an Xbox clan. I know a lot of you have been asking me. Um, I'll try to get the name of that and get the uh, the clan information. Um, but um, Forsaken is... The culmination of a lot of things that Bungie has been promising since the launch of Destiny 2 kind of made uh, uh, made real, like realized. Now, do they still have some work to do? Obviously, it's always a game in progress with Bungie. But it's finally at a place where it feels really good again. And it feels like the, the gameplay loop feels rewarding on a continual basis. And it doesn't feel like I'm artificially grinding for anything. At least hmm. not yet. Hmm. Um, I haven't gotten to that point yet. There's always going to be some kind of a grind right. with, with Destiny. It's, just, it's part of the ecosystem. So... I have completed the main story missions, and as with all Destiny expansions, that doesn't mean that it's over. There's more content after that in the open world sections of the game where you can patrol and go on adventures mm -hmm. and do strikes, and you can replay heroic story missions. Yep. And what I love about what they've changed with Forsaken is that they've given you more reasons to go after some of these quests. So they've opened up how you get rewards. These powerful rewards mm. is what they call them in the game, which gives you drops of gear that are um, much higher or um, substantially higher than where you're currently at. Whereas just regular grinding in the world will give you drops. One level, two levels, whatever. Yeah, right. but generally not very good. Mm. And so they kind of give you these milestones every week, and they've revamped that to give you more opportunities <laughs> to earn things, including the return of daily missions, which I love. Mm. Um, so the daily crucible is back. The daily story mission is back. Daily strike is back. Um, they've got special rewards for Gambit, which I think is really great, mm -hmm. which is the new um, kind of uh, PvP slash PvE. Yeah, mode we played that. That, that was fun. 
Yeah. yeah, we have to we have to play again. I haven't really spent too much time with Gambit since launch because most of the time me playing Destiny has been um, with a bad internet connection. So I haven't really gone into PvP too Probably much. Smart. But um, the way that they've designed the narrative around adventures this time around, I thought was really smart and huh. really interesting. It kind of allowed you to experience the narrative and the order and the pace that you wanted to. Yep. So if I wanted to go and do some open world things, I could, but then I could go back to the story when I wanted to. I really liked that. Um, their reinvestment in cutscenes was great. There's some really fantastic mm-hmm. cutscenes um, in the new story, and where they're taking it is really fascinating. And I don't want to give away too much because we're going to be learning a lot more. They've set up obviously something to happen in the raid, which is about which I believe will have launched by the time the show goes live. Um, and they are pulling together all of these different threads of lore that Bungie has been creating since Vanilla Destiny and bringing in things from different expansions and kind of like all making them come together Mm -hmm. in this unique narrative place that I think is going to have an an awesome payoff. If some of the fan theories that I've I've been reading on, on Reddit and that I've heard from some of the What's Good Guardians actually come to fruition... It could be a moment where Bungie finally gives us like the narrative payoff we've been yeah, waiting for yeah. in Destiny. Um, and so I'm really looking forward to it. And something that Bungie, I think, has always done really excellently, besides obviously the best-in-class gameplay with, with first-person shooting, is they've dropped nuggets of lore around the world and yeah. really incentivized the community to go find them. Yeah. And not giving them any, any mm-hmm. clues as to how yeah. to find them. Where are we right now in the Destiny life cycle? Like in, in, in like when was Destiny announced? Twenty. It was announced in 2013. It was okay. released in 2014, um, and so we are year five, okay. I believe, of Destiny. So that's what I've always my position on Destiny has always remained the same, and that is when they announced this game, they announced that they this is a ten year plan, right? And so with anything that no television series or movie is going to come out of the gate and say, we got a 10 year plan. And so mm-hmm. what happens to that 10 years, you have to drip feed the audience. Not everything's going to land the way you want it to. So it's super hard to, for me, I always tell people cause everybody dips in and out and I've tried to play as much as I can through the years, um, time permitting, but it's like anybody that asked me my opinion, I'm like, you have to ask me my opinion in 10 years. Like you have to let me judge this based on the sum of it, all of its parts, because that is what the plan was. And so I love that we're like, what you're saying is five years in is that they're finally starting to tie stuff together. And that makes a lot of sense to me, right? Like, of course they're going to have some misses, but like, okay, now it's starting to come together. Right. I think as a destiny fan, I bet you guys have your best years in front of you. Like you're, I man, I sure hope so because a couple of those years were pretty. Yeah, low. but that's <laughs> like you know, look, like you lost fans like, and like yeah. any long term <laughs> fan of anything is like man, yeah. seasons four through six really whatever. Like it, yeah. it's everything, you know. So it's this is this the first time that we've in the gaming space that we've uh, seen a franchise come out and say we have a ten year plan and you have to invest for ten years. I it, it is right. To I mean, like is preemptively anybody else say that? 
Sure. Yeah, like you know, like, like yeah, Wow has been like, around forever, but I yeah, don't think I they was going to use Wow as an example yeah. too. But they didn't like set out at the beginning yeah. to say, "Hey, we're twenty years from now, yeah. we're going to like give you a narrative payoff." In right. This, in Wow. Right. Yeah. So while Bungie probably can back into a lot of things now, like perhaps they have planned for a lot of this. Well, stuff, what's interesting know? about bringing up Wow as an example is that there are some there's some speculation amongst um, some of the people I've played with that perhaps Blizzard's you know, new close relationship with um, Activision's other studios because of them launching exclusively through the Blizzard um, infrastructure. Perhaps they've also been sharing some knowledge about, hey, you know, (laughs) if you want to learn something about world building in long term, you know, shared space world games. Sorry, there was a lot of words there. Yeah, <laughs> um, but it made a lot of sense. Maybe we, we can, maybe we can talk to you yeah. and give you, you some advice about how how you can maybe change. No, the but thing. what yes. I've always like talked about, I'm like, you guys, Bungie is near ArenaNet. Guild Wars Two has some fantastic end game design. Go talk to them. Like there are other people that know how to do this. Just lean on the experts in the industry around you. People like developers love chatting with each other. I'm sure that it wouldn't mm-hmm. be like a considered a weird thing at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. But I've just been having a blast with it. It's something that I think about playing constantly. Mm-hmm. You know, I was listening to you and Britt last week talk about how, you know, you think about playing Spider Man during the day and you want to get home to to keep playing it. And that's how I feel about Forsaken and how I'm like, I just want to keep playing and all of these international trips with you know, terrible Wi-Fi in hotels are really cramping my style. Um, <laughs> Delicious oh my God, champagne problems, so by the way. <laughs> okay, I deserve that. Um, but um, I've been really, really enjoying it. And if you guys are hesitating, um, I would say don't hesitate. I know that there's a lot of people out there that have issues with the cost and i would say of all of the expansions that i've played for destiny this seems the most robust Mm -hmm. with content and i'm not going to say that there isn't an argument to be made that some of this content should have been included in previous expansions or potentially even in the base game um because i agree with you but at this point i'm so invested in the ecosystem that i kind of don't care yeah and really, when I know you that think that about it, that sounds really terrible to say. But what are you spending? I mean, we could break it down. Like, what are you spending per minute? Like, how many hours and hours of your life has this game given you? Right. So at the, in the end of thousands, the day, thousands, literally it, thousands. Yeah, of it's, hours. it's it's breaking down. It's a pretty cost effective form of entertainment. Yeah. When you really think about it, I just you know everybody's barometer for what your value is is different. You yeah. know, like you have to decide for yourself like what is the dollar that I earn worth mm-hmm. spending on. And if you don't think that Destiny in the expansions and the upcoming season pass are going to be worth your money, then don't do it. But I have gotten literally thousands of hours of enjoyment out of this franchise yeah. and I buy silver because I enjoy getting custom emotes and things like that, but um you don't have to do that and I think that the amount of content that Bungie and Activision have provided is worth the the cost for me because I enjoy playing with the clan so much Mm -hmm. and enjoy playing with my other friends who are playing Destiny that maybe aren't even in the clan Mm -hmm. um, that having that camaraderie is worth is worth the price is worth the price for entry for me for sure so we'll get you we'll get you caught up Steimer don't you worry yay (laughs) (laughs) Um, We don't have too much time left in this section, but um, I did want to briefly talk about Celeste um, because I really 
drug my feet on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know this came out way early in the year, yep. and when it came out, I was like, nope, nope, it's a side-scrolling Metroidvania-style yep. 2D. It's not for me. It's too difficult, but it got such rave reviews. Uh-huh. I made a promise that I would play this game before the end of the year for Game of the Year considerations, and yeah. I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that I got over these reservations that I had because it really really is a fantastic game have you played i have yeah yeah steimer you haven't played right i haven't finished it i have played it Mm. yeah i'm i'm on the final section um because i've been playing it um on the plane so i obviously had this like 24 hour round trip flight that's not an exaggeration um on my last trip and i'm going to tokyo so i have plenty of time but um i tweeted about my frustration with playing it with the joy con joystick Uh Because you need like pixel perfect precision yep. in this game. And so I would say to you, if you guys are like me and you've heard good things about Celeste mm-hmm. and you haven't played, I'm going to recommend it to you. And I'm going to recommend it to you for a couple of reasons. First, the execution of the gameplay for the platforming is unlike anything that I've really seen. Yep. The last game that I played that really kind of got to me in this way was Ori in the Blind Forest, mm-hmm. which I loved. And while you're going to die over and over and over again, the thing that really kind of stuck with me was at the very beginning of the game, there's a screen explaining the way that they would like you to play. And then there's another screen that says, Mm. but if that's not for you, that's okay. We have all of these accessibility options for you because we want you to experience the game. But then there's a, a last screen that says you can do this. It's just, that's all it says on the screen. And that really got to me because I was ready to put all of the assist mode stuff on right away from the beginning. Uh-huh. And then I was like, you know what? They have faith in me. <laughs> I'm going to try, <laughs> try it on normal mode and see how it goes. And I've been, I haven't dropped it down. I've yeah. been playing it on normal the entire time and just dying yeah. over and over again. And they'll give you, you know, little interstitial scenes every now and again mm-hmm. that says, you know, wear your deaths like a badge of honor and don't think that you have to get all of the strawberries mm-hmm. or whatever the thing are. They're strawberries, yeah. right? That you get? Uh, yes, yeah. yeah. They're like, they're totally optional. They're, you're not going to get any kind of a bonus outside of the fact knowing that you did it. Yeah. Uh, you know, bragging rights to your friends. And I was like, that makes me feel better because, yeah. you know, there's a lot of those. And I'm like, I don't know how the heck anybody got that thing over there. I'm not going to go for it. But the other thing that I was a big takeaway for me outside of the really fantastically executed uh, platforming gameplay is the narrative and how the whole game is really an allegory um, for this mountain that she's climbing Mm -hmm. and how it's kind of represents these demons inside her and how there's this enemy in the game that is truly a a part of her and that she has to face off against this part of herself. And I don't want to spoil how it ends, but throughout each stage of the game, it's her recognizing this problem that she has with herself and how she's addressing it and how she's dealing with it and the way it speaks to mental illness and mental health and Mm -hmm. anxiety and depression and letting the player and the character know that she's not alone and that this isn't just her in her, in her mind that it's okay that she's having trouble and it's okay that she's having problems. I think that that bigger narrative and that bigger Mm -hmm. takeaway is so important, such a fantastic message Mm -hmm. that's expertly crafted and wielded through a game that executes from a gameplay perspective in such a fantastic way. I understand now why this game got perfect scores. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's uh, number one, it speaks to, I think, the responsibility that studios are starting to feel about 
how many people touch their products, especially people during impressionable and developmental times in their lives. And I, I can't, certainly can't more eloquently put why the game is awesome other than in a year of extraordinary side scrollers with Dead Cells and Salt and Sanctuary on the uh, the Switch and Hollow Knight and uh, Steam World Dig 2, this is a must have. In a year of like, uh, we've had an overabundance of riches so far. And like, it's, you're absolutely right. In that, I think it does tell, it's a, a phenomenal game. Like, it handles like Super Meat Boy, which is something that that bar is super high. But, the story being told here is yeah like it's like uh ori it's like braid like when when you get it you're like holy shit man this is this mm-hmm. snuck up on me but then you look back on it and you go oh yeah you were telling me that the entire time yeah yeah it's great i'm not gonna pretend like it didn't almost throw my switch in the airplane several times but that's why you buy those games too right yeah. i mean you know those aren't easy things oh my gosh and like the you have to like perfect run almost every single level yeah. there's no places for you to make a mistake and that's it's very super meat boy in that yeah. in that in that vein that like they're like oh no you thought that you could take it easy in this corner we're gonna put yeah. another obstacle yeah. there if you don't nail it yep. every single step of the way you're gonna die and do it again we spent so much time making the most precise controls ever that we're gonna punish you if you're not good at it yep yeah yeah i'm i think i'm over 900 deaths now i'm not even done Should yet be proud <laughs> yeah that's a good, that's a good have you tried playing with the pro controller andrea have you like felt the difference no, but I'm planning to bring the pro controller with me on this next trip. And just like kickstanding um, the, the yeah, screen. kickstanding the switch and using the pro controller. Uh, it's tough though because I've, I'm so deep into the game now. I've yeah. almost like learned how yeah. to mm. how to um, use the little you nubbins. Know, you- yeah, so I feel like if I try, I, it's gonna I'm gonna have to relearn on the pro controller. Yeah. But also think about how much better you're gonna feel if you finish it this way. Yeah. On hard mode? Yeah, Double hard going, mode, man. which is the yeah. handheld <laughs> mode. I'm close. I'm close to the end. Yeah. Um, and um, it's, I'm excited to see the payoff. It's been, it's been really great. So I wanted to talk about my experience with it because I was really stubborn this year, early this year, about yeah. not playing it because I thought that it wasn't going to be for me. And I'm so, so glad that I gave it a chance. So if you're like me and you were being stubborn too and you're like, nah, I'll get to it, um, play I got to pick it back Don't up sleep again. On this. Because like it's I said, so I, I put it down when something starts to chase you, which is fairly early on in the game. But I was just like, ah! <laughs> yeah, chapter three, the hotel chapter is real intense. Yeah. yeah, That was the one I probably spent, I died the most on. There are more chasey things <laughs> later on in the game. I'm not I'm sorry to tell you, me. but... It's very cartoony, though. It's not... It's more... It's, you'll be okay. It's still stressful. It's the, stress, yeah, it's the added okay. stress of like, I already need to figure out what I need to do just platforming-wise yeah. to get to the other side, right? And then nail that perfectly. And then I have to not get caught by this fucking thing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dear. It, it gets worse. I hate to tell I you. Know. <laughs> I want to do it, though. I, wanna, I, wanna, I need to go back and like just suck it up and yeah. try, try again. Try, try, try again. All right, well, we're going to um, end this segment of Hands On and take one last short break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Blair about what he's been up to in life, how he's managing his work-life balance, and, of course, talk about Pablov. Pablov? Pablov, yeah. Yeah. Both ways are right. Yeah, we're going to talk about where this comes from. Yeah. Uh, So stick with us, everybody. We'll be right back. 
to segment three of the What's Good Games podcast. We, of course, have been chatting with our special guest, Blair Herder, here all show long. We hope that you have been enjoying his commentary. Um, Blair, at the top of the show, we talked a little bit about, you know, the kind of work that you've done and what you're doing now. Yep. Um, but uh, the reason you're here and the reason you reached out to me, um, and I'm so glad that you did, because I guess I just assumed that you would be too busy to ever, you know, come by the studio because yeah. you guys are obviously based in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, is that you are are working on this amazing charitable drive, this organization that you've been working with for a couple of years now. Yeah. So first of all, it's not the only reason I reached out. Oh, thank you. I will say not, You love John Drake too. I, I, get I do it. I do love me some John Drake. <laughs> um I'm not a I'm not a gaming personality anymore, so I don't even know if you guys want me. So I'm glad that I could have this Shut excuse for you to say do. yes, because <laughs> uh, who cares about my opinion these days? Uh, but yeah, so uh, I'm uh, I'm on the board of directors of the Pablo Foundation, which is a nonprofit uh, based out of Los Angeles. Although we've got a lot of initiatives happening all over the country, but we fund uh, cutting edge pediatric cancer research and arts programs for children and families that are fighting cancer. Um, because uh, oftentimes the, the, the kind of going statement is that uh, the minute that a kid finds out they have cancer is the minute they stop being a kid. And so our focus is, A, curing that, right? We don't want anybody to ever have to go through that. And B, teaching children that, like, no, you're still a child. Like, it, let's still, it, we live our lives, like, have fun and whatever. So, um, yeah, so... We do a number of fundraising initiatives throughout the year, but the kind of one of the major things we focus on is a, a bike ride called Pablov Across America. Um, this is the 10th anniversary of the ride. We're riding bikes from San Francisco to Los Angeles, uh, which is about 600 miles, about 30,000 feet of climbing. Uh, it's a seven-day ride. That's a lot of climbing. Yeah, it is. And I did last year, uh, a little backstory, I got involved in the organization. My brother called me last year. My younger brother called me last year and said, hey, I'm going to be in LA in October. And I was like, oh, my God, this is great. What are, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm actually riding my bike from San Francisco to L.A. And I was like, well, I'm going to ride my bike from San Francisco to L.A. <laughs> I'm going to be better at it than you because I'm your big brother. Uh, Sounds right. Yeah. The next day I bought a bike because I didn't cycle um, and trained and whatever and went on the ride and, and uh, raised money to, to go on the ride and thought, oh, this would be cool. It'll be a thing I do with my brother. Um, I'll raise some money for a good cause and then I'll move on with my life. And then during the ride, the people that participate in the ride are um, – Cancer survivors, uh, parents whose children have beat cancer, parents who have lost their kids to cancer. And so during that seven days, like uh, fundamentally, I think something in me shifted. And so when I got back to L.A., I called the organization. I was like, I got to do more. Like I'll stuff envelopes. I'll pump bike tires. Like what do you need me to do? Um, We are fortunate that we live in a space, that we work in a space that – it's still very young. Gaming is still very young. Digital is certainly very young. And so the board of directors for Pablo that exists was very uh, entertainment focused, music, television, film, but they didn't really have anybody that knows this world like I do. And so that's how I got involved there. Um, and so cut to this year, it's the 10th anniversary of the ride. There are 50 of us doing the ride. Um, we have committed, 50 of us have committed to raising a million dollars for uh, pediatric cancer research and, and the arts programs. Personally, I've committed to raising seventy five thousand dollars. I've wow. raised. I've that raised is a lofty goal. It is pretty high, um, but I'm very fortunate to know great people like you, like you, on the screen, <laughs> um, and really amazing communities of people that um, I've been in gaming for almost twenty years, and I know 
there's a passion there and a loyalty and a community there that doesn't exist in other mediums. And so it is a lofty goal, but I've been, I've been able to tap into a couple of really great communities. My friends at Critical Role um, have been very helpful. They've, uh, through them, I've raised almost $45,000, That's fantastic. I was visiting the, the, the kind of funny folks this morning um, as well. And so just kind of making the rounds with the people that, quite frankly, have given me so much in my life. Like this gaming world has given me so much. And so now I'm just basically going around and asking for more, a little more help. Um, so as it currently stands, I'm, I'm about $9,000 away from the goal. That is uh, fantastic Which is news. great. I mean, the reality is, just so you know, and, and, and the fans at home know, um, any any little bit is helpful. Like we, the Critical Role community specifically, people are donating 50 cents a dollar. Like it doesn't matter. Just being a part of this movement is important. Um, we're going to hit $75,000 for sure, but I've set a personal goal of $100,000. Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to raise that because we have friends in the industry. Last year was the first year I did the ride and I didn't know how to fundraise. I didn't know how to ride a bike in that way. And so I made a like I just made personal calls to the Cliff Blazinski's of the world, the Ken Levy's. <laughs> nice. I was like, "Hey, rich people, <laughs> cut me a check." Like real talk, just cut me a check. Yeah. Uh, they were very supportive. I haven't made those calls yet this year. I know that they will respond in the same way that they did last year. And so um, the goal, I'd love to go into this ride having raised a tenth of the money by myself. Like that would make me super happy. And so uh, yeah, so I'm just doing the rounds, man, and. Take, took the day off of work, came up here to visit you guys. And, um, you know, I'm very fortunate to do what I do. I think we're all very fortunate to have the jobs that we have. But I can tell you that as an adult and as a professional, like uh, what the work that I get to do at the Pablo Foundation is the most meaningful stuff I've ever done. So I often joke with Jessica that if, I, if we didn't have a certain lifestyle that we've been, become accustomed to living and I didn't have a child that I want to pay for his schooling and give him all the things that I, that I didn't have growing up, I would just do this full time. Like I would full on like it's just, you know, we were trying to cure cancer. Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) cancer is one of those things that there isn't a person now that hasn't been touched by it in some way. And I remember doing a study about cancer when I was in high school. And back then the statistics were one in two people knows somebody that has cancer and one in three people knows somebody that has died of cancer. Yeah. And I have to imagine that number is even higher now. And, um, it's just, it's just really quite frankly, it's shitty. Yeah. Cancer is the fucking worst. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, and, and the idea that kids, it's hard enough listening to adults go through cancer or seeing like your parents or yeah. your brothers or your sisters, yeah. you know, go through cancer. That's really fucking hard but seeing a kid who hasn't had their life yet go through it at such a young age is even like even more heartbreaking and that's why you know i think so many people come out every year to support organizations like extra life or you know the children's miracle network and this is before you started um tweeting and posting on facebook about this charity i had no idea who they were yeah and hearing stories from you about you know who they are as an organization and, and what motivated you to get involved has really been inspiring for me to like kind of look into who they are as yeah. as a group and the kind of amazing work that they do. Yeah, and thank you for that, and thank you for doing the research. I have plenty of stuff to talk about with you <laughs> offline if you want, but I mean that's the reality of it. Like not getting into the politics of like big pharma and things like that, but. You know, uh, cancer research on the whole is not as funded as other more profitable things. And of the funded cancer research, only 4% of that goes to pediatric cancer specifically. That's crazy. And, like, and let's be honest, like, 
I, I lost my grandfather and my grandmother. They both, my grandmother eventually died of dementia, but she had cancer. I lost my grandfather to cancer, but they lived very long and very happy lives. And so, yes, like kids, fuck that. We have a responsibility as adults to make sure that kids don't have to go through this. And so that's our focus is, you know, the, the funding doesn't really come to kids in that way. Um, and so the, and the organization as a whole has been very fortunate. It was founded by a mother and a father who uh, lost their son, Pablo. And they were, um, they're very plugged in, in the entertainment industry, very, very plugged in. So for a number of years, even to this day, a lot of the funding from the organiz- for the organization comes from very big Hollywood donors. And that's great. And we're very grateful for that. But my focus as a, as the, I think the youngest board member, my focus is to turn this into uh, a more, not a grassroots thing. You can't be a grassroots campaign when you're something that's been around for 10 years, but like to bring more of this conversation to more of our people, right? And I think like for us, that's the important thing is, is just getting the word out that across the United States and then, and then globally eventually as well that, you know, I think that we can all be in this together and, and we need to, you know, there are a lot of organizations doing a lot of great things, but this one in particular for me, again, because the focus in a lot of ways isn't on kids and it should be because I feel like, and we believe if you can cure pediatric cancer, you can cure other cancer. I mean, it just it is what it is. And right. what's exciting about the Pablo organization for me as a, as a science nerd is that, so we do two different things, by the way. So we, with the money that we raise, we fund uh, science and arts programs. So the science, we fund two different things. We do what's called $50,000 seed grants, and we do $250,000 accelerator grants. And the, uh, when, you're, when you're a researcher, when you're a private researcher, you spend the majority of your time writing grants and looking for money. So you spend very, you don't spend as much time as you should be actually doing the thing that you're actually trying to accomplish. And so we hope to eliminate that by saying, hey, researcher that we're excited about, here's a quarter million dollars. Stop looking at, like, stop looking for money. Just go do the work. Go cure the cancer. But the seed grants are really interesting in that we're focusing on uh, cutting edge cancer research. So there are a lot of traditional things that are happening, a lot of people researching the same types of cancer. We're looking into the people that, and this is where, like, I think we can connect with the, the nerd community, which I like. We're, like. we're looking into the people that are, like, injecting nanobots and robots into cancer cells and, like, crazy, Whoa. like, outside of the box <laughs> thinking that it just, that's the type of shit that will cure something, right? Um, so we fund that side. And then the, the art side of things is we do the Shutterbugs program, which is a photography program that um, we've now launched in nine cities around the country. Um, and it, we, we get kids that are going through chemo and, and going through the, the process. And we put them through photography classes. And we teach them how to express themselves through their photographs. And, and that's a big part of it. But it's also about bringing them together with other kids. And when we bring them together with other kids that are going through what they're going through, we make it, it's a very important rule that we set for ourselves. Like, we don't talk about cancer. We don't talk about them being cancer kids. They're just kids who are getting together to learn photography. Because, again, when you're a kid who gets diagnosed, that becomes your entire life. And we just think that's super unfair. And so we try to provide them with an experience that allows them to be, we were all very fortunate to not have to go through that as children. And, you know, we, we do our best to make sure that they're kind of going through the same thing. So yeah, it's a, it's an important thing for me. I mean, outside of my family, it's probably the most important thing I'll ever do. So, you know, 
I mean, here we are. <laughs> it's incredibly inspirational and commendable. The work that you're doing, not only to help these kids, but to put yourself out there in a physical way to help these kids and, and to raise money. And, yeah. and please do keep asking all the rich people in this business for some of that money. Maybe knock on uh, Epic's door. Yeah, no. I heard that they have some money over at Epic Games. <laughs> I can bit. tell you that I, I did, I did email my friends at Epic last week, and they were all very generous. So, I mean, that's yes. the beautiful thing about the games industry, man. And like, we're a very young industry of people with bi- very big hearts. We talked a lot about the business of games throughout the course of this show. But the reality is, like, at the end of the day, most of the people are very, very, very good people. And some of them have made a lot of money playing video games or making video games. And they've all been really kind to, kind to the process. So I'm really glad to hear yeah. that. Uh, I think that's no surprise to anybody listening or watching this show that the video game community uh, takes care of its own and takes care of other people as well. Mm-hmm. It's a very welcoming, supportive place, contrary to popular belief. Yeah. Even though there are obviously some small pockets of toxicity out there, the overwhelming love that we feel in this community mm-hmm. is undeniable. Yep. Um, and you, anybody who's ever been to a trade show or a convention or a mm-hmm. gathering of any kind of gamers can hopefully have you know a story to tell or an experience that they can think of where they had an amazing, supportive, welcoming um, yeah. you know, experience in the world of video games. So Blair, people want to get involved to help you reach your goal, to smash the goal. How, yep. how do they, how do they give back? Um, two things. They can either just go to our personal, my, my, my brother and I have combined, uh, our fundraising efforts cause he's younger. He is better on a bike than me, <laughs> but my friends are financially in a different place than his. And so I'm yeah. like, oh, let like, me just, he's younger and fitter, but my friends are richer. <laughs> yeah. Let me just, uh, I'll just combine. And then, you know, maybe I'll, we'll raise most of the money. And so, uh, so our fundraising page is give.classy.org slash team herder, which I'm sure will be somewhere. It'll be in the show notes yep. and in the YouTube description. We'll put it on our Twitter page. Yep. And you can, of course, find it on, on Blair's uh, social media as well, which will be in the description. Yeah, I, I'm, I've posted a lot about this over the last couple of months, but uh, it doesn't need to be about our fundraising. That's very helpful. But if you just want to learn more about the organization and donate directly there, it's just poblove.org, P-A-B-L-O-V-E.org. Um, and I, I would highly recommend, I mean, I'm here to fundraise for my particular effort, but if you have a moment, just go and check out what the organization is doing. And, and I think over the next couple of years, the, the board tenure, we have three-year terms and I'm about a year into mine. And most of my first year was done uh, with, focused on infrastructure, and we're actually seriously shout outs to Ubisoft, Humble Bundle, and a couple other places. We have some things in the work with them right now, and they're fucking great. And so, thank you to to all, support those companies because they are truly trying to do good things. Um, but my next two years are going to be more of just an overall education, and so part of that will be a lot of volunteer opportunities in, in areas we're not currently in. So. If you have the time, check out the organization's website and 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 keep an eye on that because I think there'll be ways to contribute uh, moving forward. And what's the website address again? Just pablove.org. Uh, P-A-B-L-O-V-E dot org. Fantastic. I do have a question here from Michael Fitzgerald. He says, hello, Andrea, I hope you're enjoying Destiny. My question is for Blair, though. <laughs> Confirm, Blair- <laughs> Michael, she is enjoying Destiny. We talked about it, yes. How has the response and generosity from the critters been for the Pablo Foundation? Yeah, I, I, I've said it. I believe I tweeted about it. I've certainly expressed this to the, the, the critical role um, founders, the employees, the staff, and the community. I have literally, I'm 38 years old. I did my first gaming-related thing when I was 19, so I've been doing this for 20 years. 
the critical role community is legitimately unlike anything I've ever seen. Like what they have built and what you guys have built together is, I don't know how to describe it. I wasn't expecting like Sam and Laura and Travis and Marissa and all those people that started that company. When I went to them like a couple months ago and said, Hey, I'm going to do this fundraising thing. Would you mind helping? And they're like, of course we would. And just so you know, our community, when the floodgates open, they're going to open. And I was like, oh, that'll be, that'll be great. We'll, we'll make a little bit of money. Was I was not did, prepared. I, I mean, I, I was getting the, – the day that we made the announcement that we were working together, uh, I got uh, an email or a text from literally every executive at Pavlov. So all of the development and executive branch, they have an alert that goes off when a donation comes in as part of a fundraising effort. They were like, we have to turn off. We had to turn off alerts because in a in twenty four hours, over eight hundred people had donated. And again, wow, these are that's fantastic. These are massive donations, like an extraordinary amount, two fifty cents. But like, I I wasn't expect. I expected the gaming community to support a good cause, but I wasn't expecting like there. I'm assuming that this this young man is a critter and dude yep. much love to you guys cuz you guys are the best. Steimer is. Yes. You are you're you're too? Yeah, hell yeah, of course I am. Have you been to a show or their studios or anything like that? Uh, I used to, yeah, I went and watched um an episode live once. Actually no, that was <laughs> it wasn't the episode, it was uh the show that Brian hosts. Um okay. Talks Machina. Talk, so I went and watched Talks yeah. Machina once. But yeah, like yeah. those are all those people are all great and the critter community like you said is fucking phenomenal i've never i've never seen anything like yeah. it it's pretty I, crazy. I wasn't expecting it yeah the only community that i uh, have seen even come and come like a little bit close and obviously we're much smaller is both our community of what's good games <coughs> fans and and the kind of funny best friends and you know we've been very fortunate that there's obviously a lot of overlap between mm-hmm. our two audiences um, I don't know a lot of, of of critters. I'm not part of the critical role community because I like I listen to D and D and I get lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I am always continually amazed by the good that our community does and how they take care of each other mm-hmm. and how they are so welcoming, not only to us, but to new people in our community. So I, I hope that you guys out there, um, you know, will get involved, whether it's with, you know, Pob Love or it's with a number of the other organizations, mm-hmm. you know, that we talk about on the show, yep. you know, we, there's take this.org, there's stackup.org, there's ablegamers.org. you know, as you know, Blair was saying, there's a ton of great charities out there. Yep. Um, but I think we all can agree like kids with cancer, fucking sucks yeah i was a tri delta (laughs) so our our main charity of support was saint jude so yeah yeah, this obviously like very near and dear to my heart so actually while you guys were talking i was looking at the website because i haven't taken i know that you've done this for a while but i never have like taken a moment to go and actually look at the site and now that i'm looking at it i'm like wait this shutterbugs program looks fucking cool so i'm gonna talk to you i'm gonna talk to you after this (laughs) about some stuff yeah no we'll we'll talk and i i want to underline like a takeaway here that i hope you i know your people know this but like do not let the the media in general um define what you think the gaming community is there are small pockets of toxicity but like in many ways i i i i'm thankful that i feel like gaming has shown a light into those dark corners before other parts of the industry and like we're now seeing the result of like I don't. I hate putting labels on things, but things like Gamergate and things like that, 
like the 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 things that were happening there i think opened up larger doors but like by and large the gaming community is a phenomenal community phenomenally positive and and uh so just don't forget that right like you guys are a part of something amazing Heck yes. Uh, one more time for everybody. It's give.classy.org slash team herder. Mm. And again, we'll put those links down in the descriptions for you guys. Blair, this has been awesome. Yeah, thank you, you guys for show. having me. Uh, I got to tell you, Jessica's soups jelly that <laughs> I came before she did. Like she's legitimately like, so let me get this straight. I, I know. I knew this was going to happen. What's good girls <laughs> invited the herder boy before I was like, I feel like you've probably been invited and you just haven't made the trip up there. Honestly, I think it's just been, um, and that's probably on me for not scheduling with her, um, but it's on the top of my list to reach out to her and get her in the books for a, a guest spot on the show. I think I unfairly put her in the camp that I always get put in that I just assume that she's always so busy yeah. that she wouldn't have time to do the yeah. show and I hate it when people assume that about me so it's really shitty for me mm -hmm. to assume it about other uh, working professionals in this business but we of course would love to get uh, Jessica on the show oh, many I know that yeah, she yeah. was uh, recently reaching out, uh, reaching out to Steimer about getting back into WoW. Yeah. We had yeah. um, Alana on talking about, or no, not Alana, uh, Naomi yeah. talking about Azeroth. Yeah, and and so um, they were great, man. I I I feel great. I'm grateful that I got to work with both of them, uh, albeit very briefly. But like, they're they're great people. I I see big things in in their careers for sure. And I think that all of you, you guys are all busy. Scheduling is hard, but we talked a little bit about this earlier. There, there are a group of women in this industry that uh, I think that set a very good standard, and I like you guys are obviously a part of that. And like it would, it's almost like your responsibility to make sure you guys are getting together every once in a while. I really do believe that. No, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, and it's another reason why I, I want to desperately move back to Los Angeles. Yay. The the girl gaming crew in LA is strong. Yeah. Um, but yes, we would love to have her on the show. I will send her an email literally tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, she's in. I mean, I'll, I will, the, I'll confirm for her, by the way. She, she's I in. I heard her talk 100%. to her about it when we went out. I was like, so oh, do you want to come on the show? And she's like, yes. I'm like, Great. I mean, I don't have yeah. scheduling down, but yeah. like she's She is down. legit salty that I'm here. And she's like, she's like, I, this is, no. I appreciate what you're doing, Blair. It's for a good cause, <laughs> but like, okay. Yeah. That's bullshit, man. <laughs> Jessica, if you're listening, we're so sorry. Trust us. We, you were on the list. Trust months us, and you're months definitely the priority, ago. but Blair reached out, so here he is. Kids with cancer, Jessica. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's true. Can't argue that. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you guys are a pre show patron, you can catch the archive where we're um, having a nice chat uh, with Blair on patreon.com slash what's good games. As we mentioned earlier this week, if you guys missed it on social media, we'll We'll have a special episode next week uh, that Steimer and I have pre-recorded, taking lots of backlog, dear WGG questions, all kinds of topics Dang. get covered in that show next week. So look for that next Friday. And then the three of us will be reunited the week after that when Brittany is back from her European cruise. And we will be doing our happy hour Q&A for all patrons on September 27th with more details to follow. Have a fantastic weekend, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Bye!